You're listening to the Inverse Podcast, where we explore how the scriptures can turn our world upside down. Or how it can be weaponized to uphold the status quo. I'm Drew Hart. And I'm Jared McKenna, and this is Inverse. Hello, everyone. Uh, Welcome to Inverse Podcast. I'm really, really excited about our guests for today. Uh, We've got here uh, for conversation, Lisa McNair. Uh, She's a Birmingham native who is the younger sister of Denise McNair, one of the four little girls killed in 1963 in the infamous bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Currently, she's a national public speaker under her own business, Speak Lisa. Lisa shares the story of Denise's life, her heinous murder, and how it affected her family and the city of Birmingham. As part of that work, uh, on September 13th of this year, Lisa became a published author with her book, Dear Denise, Letters to the Sister I Never Knew. Um, And so this memoir, she opens up and shares very honestly about her life story in forms of letters that she's written to her late sister, Denise. Um, and it's powerful, and we'll talk about that in a second. Uh, Lisa hopes that the lessons learned from the heinous murder of her sister and others in the civil rights movement will never be forgotten, but will remain present to help us remember to never repeat the horrible evilness of that time. She conducts anti-racism workshops where she speaks on racial unity and how we must all remember that as human beings, we have more things in common than we have that are different. Um, I have a personal connection to Lisa. I got the pleasure of meeting her over the summer um, in Alabama. We have a mutual dear friend, uh, Todd Allen. Um, And so through that, um, I was able to not only connect some of my leaders in Pennsylvania to uh, hear Lisa speak, um, but she also was generous with her time. We stayed up late hanging out in a hotel lobby, um, telling stories and getting to hear a little bit more of uh, just Lisa's journey and all that she's up to in the full scope of it. And so that was really a beautiful time. And I'm really grateful also as a humble brag, got an advanced copy of uh, Dear Denise. Um, and so I was excited to be able to get my hands on um, that book and start reading before everyone else. Um, and so Lisa, welcome to Inverse Podcast. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, I'm really grateful um, that you made some time. I'm really excited about the fact that you're uh, going to be uh, in conversation with us and that we can share, you know, your story um, and all the wisdom and insights and even vulnerability of your story um, with the rest of the world. And so um, thanks for making the time. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I would like to start really with dear Denise. Um, I know that, you know, you, you know, it's a fairly recent, you know, you just wrote this book. Um, I guess my question would be is, um, why did you feel like you wanted to write this book? What is the heart of it? And like, why now in particular, that kind of um, led you to, to kind of writing these really beautiful letters um, that is inviting the whole world to enter into your story and your lived experience? Well, uh, first of all, I'll say good morning, everyone. And thank you. Uh, Andrew, for having me. I wanted to write this book ever since I was 14 years old. Uh, At um, 14, I was graduating from elementary school from the eighth grade for a predominantly white private school. And so I was part of that first generation of African-Americans who was able to move freely through the country and experience a lot of integrated lifestyles and uh, uh, socially hang with, you know, white kids all day long. Uh, And um, I knew that that was odd. I knew that it was different than what other people, most of my other black friends were going through. I knew that it came with some challenges that nobody was talking about. And even at 14, I said, boy, this life is weird. I'm going to need to write a book about this one day. 
and they just stayed with me to to want to tell my story. Um, but I didn't put pen to paper until 2006, and the final draft didn't finish until 2017. So uh, it, it's been a long time coming. So it just yeah. God just happened to let it come out this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it feels very timely. Yeah, it um, does. Yeah. It feels like the world needs these kind of stories. Um, especially right now, given all the nonsense that we're kind of going through and navigating. And yeah. and it's not quite clear where our, certainly in America, right? We have listeners from all over the world, but certainly in America, where things are going to go from here, it's not uh, that clear at this moment. But I, I feel like um, story and the way that you do it so vulnerably um, it's so powerful. I was just having a conversation with some of my, well, it wasn't actually it was so Todd Allen, he asked me to do some workshops with some of our, uh, faculty and staff at Messiah university. Mm-hmm. And the second session, it was actually yesterday. Um, afterwards at the, during the Q and a, some of them were feeling almost a little hopeless, right? Just overwhelmed by just how much is being perpetuated, even in our present society. And they were asking for like, you know, what are ways to engage folks when folks are just so hard hearted and won't even like enter in. And I, I said story, right? I said that I think stories are powerful, but, but I specifically said stories that like, there has to be some like real serious self-examination work that has gone through, right? Um, mm-hmm. Not just like mm-hmm. the simple, easy stories. Right, right. That's really what's powerful about your book, I think, is like you do some really like vulnerable sharing and processing of your own journey and how you internalize particular ideas at different points when you were young and had to kind of work through moving in black space and white space. Like, tell me a little bit about like, you know, the... I mean, was that hard to enter in and to share so vulnerably and and what led you to like be that transparent and to teach through your own lived experience? Well, um, it's interesting you should ask that. When I began writing the book, you know, I knew I wanted to talk about these things, but as I started to write, I realized, you know, these are very personal. Some of these things people have never heard me say. Some of these things are things we all think about or many African-Americans think about and we don't say them because they're embarrassing or yeah. and I said, but in order for this book to mean anything to anybody and for anybody to glean anything from it, I have to be completely transparent. Yeah. And uh, I I deliberately tried to do that in every aspect of every chapter of the book and every topic that I talk about to be deliberately transparent. First of all, because I wanna tell the truth. Um, Second of all, if this is to help someone else who might be going through some of the things that I talk about in the book, I need to share my full self so that they could see themselves and say, oh, that's my story as well. Um, I, 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 I had that and she went through it and made it through wow, I can too. So it was a, a conscious effort to be very vulnerable and very uh, open. Yeah, no, that was, that's kind of how I experienced it was, and maybe you can tell, maybe I'm a teacher and a leader. So I'm always thinking about how I can use other books with other people, right? But I was thinking as I was reading, I was like, this is the kind of book that can open people up. And it's precisely the vulnerability um, the kind of level of intimate sharing that you do that is just humanizing, right? In you kind mm-hmm. of grappling even in how to, you know, make sense as a Black woman growing up in Alabama, right at the, you know, tail end of, you know, a massive movement, like that I think is going to open and touch folks in, in, in a humanizing way that I think you know, just pounding ideas at folks just sometimes right, doesn't right. Do, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, so I'm grateful. I highly encourage folks to go buy Dear Denise Letters uh, to the Sister I Never Knew. Um, it's such a, a great gift, I think, especially right now. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, we'll keep journeying and thinking about your story more, but uh, one of the things that we like to do as we start um, podcasts is to actually um, set the tone with a biblical passage. And so have you chosen a text and can you read that for us? Yes, I have. Uh, this is my favorite uh, scripture verse in the whole Bible. It is Philippians 4, 6, and 7. And it says, 
be, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Hmm. Ah, so good. So good. I'm looking forward to our conversation on that text in a little bit. Um, but before we begin that, I'd like to, you know, um, hear more about your story. And I know you talk quite a bit about, you know, different, you know, faith communities that you were a part of. Um, initially, you know, your mom was a member at 16th Street Baptist and you ended up going there. Your dad was at, at a Lutheran church, a majority black congregation with white pastors and and then ongoing and navigating, leaving that church, all that stuff, right? And so, uh, but I would really love to hear, um, like, are there any like early memories of actual, like, like your first early memories of encountering the Bible itself? Um, and I don't know if it took place in any of those contexts or maybe some other, but what are some early memories that you have in terms of actually encountering the Bible? And can you tell us maybe some stories that kind of help give some texture to your early memories of encountering the Bible? Sure. Um, uh, uh, my Christian faith was and is always has been a major tenet of my life. Uh, my parents were Christian. My grandparents were Christian. Um, my, um, we went to church, uh, a good bit, you know, um, uh, my dad was a Lutheran and my mom was a Baptist. So that, that was different. Uh, the private predominantly white school that I went to was Episcopalian. So I, I got a little bit of everything, uh, but it was just very important. And my mom's faith was really strong and it would have to be for her to get through all that she got through. Yeah, And she often quoted scriptures uh, about everything. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Hmm. Uh, her favorite was trust in the Lord with all that heart. Lean not to your own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path. So she was like quoting scripture all the time, you hmm. know, and uh, to, encouraging, to encourage us. But I think it was also to encourage her. You yeah. know, and to stay focused on her. So uh, we were always in church. Um, at seven, I got my first Bible. Um, uh, I was baptized and my grandmother gave all the grandchildren a little Bible. Uh, uh, I think it was, I um, can't remember what version was, but it was like the children's version. Yeah, uh, yeah. The Bible had pictures and color pictures of Jesus and stuff. And it was very simple, uh, the text. Uh and uh, so that was our first Bible. Uh, so you brought your Bible to church all the time. That's and then right. when I was a debutante and um, graduated in high school, um, one of the gifts that all the debutante parents gave was a white Bible with your name engraved in it. And all the debutantes got a white Bible. So the Bible was like always there. And my um, minister at 16th Street after the minister that left, uh, that was there with Denise was Reverend Crutcher and I learned so much about uh, the Bible there uh, he was a great teacher yeah. and I learned a lot and then when we left that church I joined uh, Sardis Baptist Church and that was the blooming of my spiritual walk I was in my early 20s at that time and that minister was an excellent teacher he taught so much i i mean i've got a bible now that i still have all these bookmarks <laughs> and highlights and stuff yeah, from yeah. just uh he taught you how to live this life and go use the bible as a tool to help you make it through the good and the bad uh reverend samuel pedigree's with the lord now and he was just wonderful so there were all these occasions and he was like my writing your bible highlighting your bible and uh yeah. And uh, I, I've done that um, with several Bibles since then. You know? Yeah. But it was always a piece of uh, who I was. I, I can't imagine people who don't have that faith and have their Bible to lean on because this life can be hard. And um, I'm very grateful for mine. Hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. I mean, I hear 
um, you're talking about the the oral part of it, right? You just heard yeah. your mother spoke it. It was just mm-hmm. in the air, literally. Um, literally, yeah. You talked about the teaching of it. You talk about the presence and the physicality of it that is just mm-hmm. kind of a, a part of life, right? And I certainly resonate yeah. with that as well. Um, all those different dimensions in terms of my I joke sometimes. I know you've probably heard some Black folks sometimes joke about like, you thought, you know, you know, Moses and Elijah, you thought they were family members after a while, right? You just <laughs> reference so frequently when you're young. And so yeah, um, I think yeah. that, um, yeah, that's beautiful. And um, and I think um, that's very similar to the kind of, you know, experience I had growing up as well in the family, in the church, um, just this kind of commitment and teaching me to learn to enter into those scriptures and to lean on them in hard times and to seek God Mm -hmm. through that as a vehicle. And so, yeah, beautiful. Um, So I'm really interested then, you know, and I think maybe we maybe already get the answer, but like different people have different experiences with the Bible. Um, In fact, for some folks, it's actually uh, a difficult thing to come to because you know, maybe it's been weaponized, right, and used ideologically to actually further harm, right, and oppression rather than yeah. to liberate. Yeah. And so for you, how would you describe your experience with the Bible as something being oppressive or liberating, something harming or healing in your life? Oh, it would definitely be liberating and healing and joyful and uplifting. And I, I grieve for those who have people who weaponized it the Bible and made it a bad thing. I my, my father actually experienced that. He grew up uh, a Church of God in Christ, and uh, his father they were in church all the time on my dad's side of the family. Every, every day and, of the week, right? <laughs> every day of the week, Lord Jesus. And so, um, uh, I remember him telling a story, and I didn't hear the story that he was old, much older, and I was an adult. Um, that his he listened to the word and he told his dad about how he was going to join church that next Sunday and he was going to confess his sins and so the daddy asked him what was a sin that he had and, and it was something real silly like he saw a woman dancing and he liked it or something you know something very very it was very innocent really and instead of my granddaddy saying, that's great, uh, yeah, ask Jesus to forgive you, he will, he beat him. And uh, he said that from now on, he would never admit he did anything wrong and pretty much was never good at that till the day he died, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and he always didn't like ministers, but it's so funny, he had all these ministers as friends. Uh but it was a church was always a very a big bone of contention for him. He yeah. had to go through a lot of things, but he never he he kept th- he kept seeing his father beat him because he was trying to confess a sin. So that was a block that stayed with him forever. Yeah, and I hate when people do that, you know, because that's not who Jesus is. That's not who God is. That's not what Christ wants us to see the Word and in His Word. And I just um. So I hate when people do that because for me, you know, the, my Bible and the word of God is a very welcoming place. It's a very comforting place, you know, yeah. you know, things get tough and I need to run to it to make it through the day. I need to run to it to deal with other people, you know, um, I, I, I just need it for so many things in life. Uh, I, and my mom just passed away in January. So I, you know, I needed to uplift mm. me and keep me going, though she's not here. And and the grief that I, the, unpal- the palpable grief that I've been through this year was just yeah. her dying. But then like the day she died, after she died, I lost an uncle. I've mm. lost two uncles since then. Mm. I've lost, at last count was about 10 or 15, 15 to 20 close friends or family members just since mama died wow i'm sorry to hear that yeah yeah so um just to make it through that and finances and losing hope and try finding a place to research and build up your hope again and um have uh 
happiness and joy. I can't imagine anybody not being able to run to it. And I, I hate that anybody would mistreat some people like that with the Bible. It's just such a great tool and a great yeah. book. Yeah, yeah, no, that's beautiful. I think, um, and the fact that you both, it's it's not just a, it has been like a gift to you, but you recognize the way that it does get abused and yet it still remains, you know, a gift and uh, something that sustains you and keeps you right as you go. And so I think that's really beautiful. I think um, it is, you know, I, I, so I, I teach theology with college students and we have to look at both the, you know, the constructive positive ways in which, you know, Jesus is a liberator and a, a friend in hard times and all those things. Mm -hmm. And also, right, the ways that these theological systems get used in harmful ways um, so mm -hmm. that they can be aware of it. And, and I know for some of my students, it is quite um, difficult, like confronting, especially if they're still in that place, in that congregation. Like some of them are in places where like they're like all of a sudden they're like, oh, crap, like that's what's happening all around me. Right. And yeah, so then they've yeah, got to yeah. navigate, but, but then to invite them that, but that's not the only way that they can relate to these texts, right. That these sacred stories right. um, can still be a gift and you can lean and find God and, and it can right, be a source right. for wisdom and, and inspiration as you go. And so, yeah, I really appreciate you um, sharing that in the way that it's certainly for you, what you've experienced in your own life and what you can testify to. Mm -hmm. um, so thinking then about, um, about how you, you know, experienced it, uh, one of the questions that we like to ask then is like, what from your own story? So think about, you know, you, I mean, you tell it well in your book, Dear Denise, right? Um, what from your story, like everyone kind of, there's something that we bring that shapes kind of a part of who we are that we interact with this with the bible right like what, what's in it that's like that um maybe the best way to say like the lens that you bring um when you're reading scripture that has has kind of emphasized or brought certain themes that have been really important to you when you're reading the bible uh well um one thing i think is very important um when i read the bible is um if i'm understanding you correctly is um hope, hope. um yeah. when you are in a place of lack of hope you know mm -hmm. when there, there's like <clears throat> tough times and you know my parents obviously experienced some tough times um yeah. so i think the bible is there for us in those tough times when things are not going well when things are hard when things are tough um uh you know like the scripture that i read at the beginning i think it's um important to important to not lose hope you know often in my walk and doing the speaking work people will ask how did your family move through this how did your family yeah. Uh, move forward how did your family not hate how did your family move on and I think the how do you keep going on um and I think that's the hope in Christ and the hope in in Christ and his people I think um that that's what's you know so important the hope I have in my fellow Christians you know um because I live in Alabama, you know, the Bible Belt, people always waving a, uh, the Christian flag down here. But this, this is also one of the racist, most racist states in the country. And uh, uh, they still have so many things on the books. And then you're like, really, dude? So, you know, I've got to have hope and believe that um, these same people that love the same Jesus I love and reading the same Bible I read can be reached because of the love of Christ and help them to remember that's what it's all about and not about, you know, uh, you know, black and white and not about, you know, one race being better than another race because we're all the children of Jesus and all have seen and fallen short of the glory of God. And so that's um, some things I use the Bible to 
you know, continued in, in my daily walk to give me um, the grace to deal with these people who, you know, are not always loving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but, but it's so, it's so interesting, you know, you'll meet somebody and, oh, uh, sorry, and they will, you're like, ooh, Lord, Jesus, I don't know if I can deal with them. They didn't, they've been got on my last nerves. And, um, but if you look at them through the lens of Christ, it's like, why are they angry? Hmm. Why are they selfish? Why are they being mean? Why are they so mad? You know, why do they hate black people? Did they really hate black people? Or did they have one black person or they thought one black person did something wrong and they misread it? Or maybe that one black person did something wrong, but like, what have they done to people, you know? all mm-hmm. of their lives you know, like my mom always said do unto others as you would have them do unto you i mean like if you acting crazy do you want somebody to beat up on you because you act crazy or do you want somebody to give you some grace you yeah. know i think you have to think about that so it, it's it's always been a tool of love and encouragement and support for me um yeah. that that's why the way i interpret it and that's the way i use it and frankly, that's the way I think Christ wanted us to interpret it. And use yeah, it. yeah. No, that's good. I, I can't argue with that, you know, um, <laughs> hope and love. Um, though I will say like, but hope is sometimes hard, right? Um, yeah. Like I, I, and especially, I mean, especially when, especially when saying, talk about a, a specific hope in Christ and what Christ is doing it seems particularly hard when there are folks who claim the name of Jesus and are embodying something unloving, right? And it can be particularly hard to, to deal with the fact that there are folks that are naming Christ, that are vandalizing the name of Jesus Christ in the public square, and yet, you know, um, wanting to believe that God is at work. But I always feel like um, some of hope needs to be embodied and practiced, right? And so the people need to be able to see somebody living that out. Um, right. So I say, right. like, right. we got to be the hope just as much as we have to have mm-hmm. hope, right? And so mm-hmm. I'm grateful for your life. I mean, I think you're seeking to be the hope. And I think that that when people encounter that in the world, right, that it is a gift and it actually provides the hope that they can also keep keeping on as well. And so, yeah, I think that that's the tension I know, especially in this last year, I've been kind of down a little bit on some stuff. And so, you know, I often want to be that hope for other folks, but sometimes I also right. need to see that in yeah, lived exactly. out in other folks' yeah. lives as well. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so taking all that, right, that this message of love that you see running through the Bible, um, this hope that is provided, can you, let's jump into this, your favorite text, as you say, right, in Philippians 4. Um, mm-hmm. Can you... Uh, Talk about a little bit, um, how has it, so one of the things we talk about is the potential to turn the world upside down. So how does that text have the potential to turn the world upside down? Invite us to have a conversation together around that text. Oh, I love this scripture. I love this scripture since I was uh, at church at, under Reverend Pettigrew. He would mm-hmm. always teach you uh, scriptures and it, I learned so many scriptures I didn't know were even there. Hmm. Uh, you know, it, it, with him. And uh, that one just stuck out for me because around that time I was in my 20s and everybody was getting engaged. I had a boyfriend and was getting married. And I felt like, you know, one of the kids at a baseball, you know, getting not getting chosen for baseball, got left on the shelf, you know. Hmm. You know, the girls I thought had bad attitudes of getting engaged and getting married. Girls I didn't think was as cute as I was, and I didn't think I was that cute of getting married. And people, um, just, just all, everybody. And I felt like, doggone Jesus, I done everything you told me to do, and and I'm still out here. What's up with that? And um, you know, and so this is just a great lesson. Be anxious about nothing. And it, it just speaks so many things. Be anxious about nothing. Okay, so that's first. So that's like you all riled up about something. Don't do that. And then, uh, but in everything, by prayer and petition, um, give thanks. So in everything, give thanks. Even when it's not where you want it to be, you're supposed to give thanks. 
and then tell God what you really want and then settle in on his peace because his peace will transcend all of the heartache and the heartbreak that you're going through. You know, it still might not be where you want it to be, but his peace will give you peace in that. And um, it will guard your hearts in Christ Jesus. So Jesus is with you even then. I'm still not married. I still didn't get picked off the ship. I'm getting a little dusty. But, you know, God has not forgotten me. He has blessed me with many, many friends and uh, family members and loved ones. And I don't know what his his um, uh, way for me as far as having a mate is. It's something I still desire. But, you know, I have to not be have to not be anxious about that because that is what he said and uh since then that be anxious is about a lot of things oh lord is the money gonna come in so i pay this bill um um a couple of months ago i was in the doctor's office after my mom died and i don't really think i was dealing with it well i don't think i was dealing with it at all i mean i went she died on the second we had her funeral on the eighth on the 10th, I was flying up to Pittsburgh to speak in Messiah. And I went somewhere else and went somewhere else. And I've been on a plane or in a car ever since then. So this was March. And I've only had a couple of anxiety attacks. I've identified what they were in the last few years. And I use them having when I'm driving in the car. That's beautiful. But um, uh, I was in the doctor's office. And I started having one. And I couldn't stop it. And they took you back, you know, they take you back to the doctor's office and leave you in the room. And they're like, how are you doing today, Miss McNair? I was like, bad. I'm having an anxiety attack. I got in there. My blood pressure was off the charts. Um, and I felt like I wanted to cry. And I was like, no, you can't be crying in the doctor's office. I don't know why. There's not a rule that says that somewhere. Anyway, um, so I proceeded to just, fully go into this whole blown, full blown anxiety attack. But I was like, nah, I don't want no medicine. I'm gonna have to calm myself down. We cannot be a blubbering idiot when this doctor was in this room. So I just started repeating that scripture, be anxious for nothing through prayer and supplication over and over and over and over again. And you know, it always takes a doctor forever to come in the room. And the nurse came back and she took my blood pressure again and it had gone down 20 points. It was 168 over something and it was down to 140 something over something. And by the, but by the time the doc came in, it had, I like to think I had prayed my way almost out of that anxiety attack that mm. I was having. And, uh, she, although she did walk in the room and ask how I was, and I burst into tears, which is probably what I needed to do. Um, and uh, she took it again, and it was perfectly normal by the time I left out of her office. And uh, so I, I, I use the scripture for everything. It's just for everything. Is you get, you know, you get really scared sometimes. I don't have a husband. I live in a house with my sister and brother-in-law. We're paying the bills ourselves now. You know, I work for myself every day is, you know, there's no check every two weeks. You know, yeah. I, what I do is my job, but yeah. I'm still learning how to do it. I'm still marketing myself. And so I don't know what I'm going to make every year. I don't yeah. know what I'm going to make every month. Right. So this scripture is just it, it helps with everything. And I use it all the time. You know? yeah, yeah. But the <laughs> peace from it does come. Hmm. You know, because I have a conversation with myself. Okay, now, you know, you're not supposed to be getting all riled up about that. That's what the word said. Did you not just read scripture? What's wrong with you? Do you not understand? And then I talk to myself and be like, you know, okay, let's just chill out. And it, and then it will give you that peace and you go on and do your thing. And then inevitably that day or later on that day or the next day, something magnificent will happen. Be like, and Jesus be like, see, I told you not to worry. I don't know why you don't be listening to me. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And when I'm here, I mean, it's interesting, like, because um, what we're really talking about is 
spiritual practice of prayer and meditation and how this particular passage has been so crucial in kind of a prayer life and a contemplative meditation on it to kind mm. of get through and sustain you through so much. And that's really powerful um, because, you know, uh, and I met, I mean, I'd be interested to hear from you, like, cause you, it sounds like this, this passage, I mean, you're talking about stuff more in the recent, but I imagine this, like, has that is, was this text also, um, present you like as you're like working through like family trauma and your own story like oh yeah yeah it's been it's been with yeah. me at least uh I think I learned that scripture around in the 80s so it's been with me forever that that yeah. scripture and the one that's my mom's favorite scripture trust in the Lord with all that heart lean not to your own understanding in all thy ways acknowledge him and he will direct your path I mean there's just like um I took a discipleship class and they taught us scriptures to, and they said, hide, hide this word in your heart so that you may not sin against God, but also hide the word in your heart so that you can use it, you know, when you don't have your Bible in front of you or you don't have your phone with scripture you can look up. It's, um, you know, it's it's just always been there. It's always, yeah. it's, it's my lifeline. I, I ain't a mad, I, I grieve for those who have this, who don't have this as their lifeline. Yeah. And maybe that's a good transition because one of the things I was thinking about and one of the reasons, again, why I feel like your story is really timely is so right now we're living in a moment where I feel like and I'll speak, especially for black folk, though, I think it's much broader than that. People are feeling it's heavy times. People are mm -hmm. feeling a lot of trauma through a lot of stuff that they're and we're in a context where we can actually name trauma. Right. Where mm -hmm. I'm sure in fact, you actually talk about. Right. Like when you were young, like certain things just weren't spoken of. There wasn't like counseling after the bombing every you guys were just sent right back to school, right? And so all, so when we think about that, I'm curious, you know, how, yeah, just what you've learned from your own journey, the healing journey, navigating, probably never, it's never just over, right? You kind of, you just learn how to sustain and God to uphold you mm -hmm. through it. But like, mm -hmm. what might you say to other folks right now who maybe not as severe as, you know, the family trauma that you guys went through, but nonetheless, very real and concrete. And um, what what might be some wisdom or just lived experience that you might want to share with folks um, as it relates to navigating trauma? Well, I think, you know, um, I think people have to understand that as an African-American in this country, I mean, your life is trauma. I mean, yeah. one of the first things you learn is that you're black and the majority people in this country are white and and a lot of them don't like you. I mean, like, that's like the first yeah. thing you you learn. Somebody has to tell you, you're like, well, dang, I ain't done nothing. I just got here. You know, I don't like me. Right. Uh, and so that that that's like first, but but you learn to move on. I'm 58 now. It's still scary to say I feel 32. But anyway, um, you know, that I, I've seen a lot of things happen over that time, things that would never have happened when I was a kid or when I was a teenager or when I was in my 20s hap are, are available to us now or happening for us now. Um, you turn on the TV, you turn on the commercials. There's almost always a black person, a person of color and everything. Um, uh, you know, you, you we're living amongst each other. You know, I have neighbors, I have black neighbors and white neighbors. And, you know, our kids are playing together. Heck, they're falling in love with each other and marrying each other at a an increased rate from when I was a kid. You know, that would yeah. never have happened for me when I was you know, able to go to the prom, to go to the prom with a little white kid, that a little white guy, that would never have happened. Um, and so I think that that's what you have to hold on to is that things have changed. There are some people trying to bring us down again, and we just have to speak out against those people and speak to them um, and try to reach them as a human being, one human being to another human being, especially if they are supposed to be of the body of Christ. Um, but I think so many things have have changed and gotten better that we need to remember that and stand on that. 
um, that we all couldn't be in, we were all in the same room on this Zoom call. We couldn't be in a room together many years ago, but we can now. I can go to your house, you can go to my house. I remember now of a predominantly white Baptist church. Um, that was not possible when I first got here on this planet, you know. Um, so I think we have to have hope and have to believe in the better nature of human beings and human decency. And um, we, if we lose our hope, we have nothing. So we have to keep having hope. Thank you. Um, I'd be curious. So going back to the book, um, just want to spend a little more time. I'm curious if there are, um, if you have a favorite letter, like that kind of like, oh, this is, you know, one of your, I mean, they're all written tremendous. And let me just say, you're a really great writer, Lisa. And oh, I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, I'm not saying I was expecting nothing like bad or anything, but I was like, really like, wow, this is the way you weaved in from different letters. Anyway, it's just beautiful. So anyway, but did you, do you have a favorite letter in terms of that you wrote? That's kind of like, oh, this is one of the ones that I'm like really proud of. And that maybe you want to share a little bit of like a story um, with our audience. Oh, Oh, wow. You know, I'm going to have to remember this and write these things down and pick a favorite letter. So people ask me, because uh, uh, I don't know. I just love it all. Um, I like this story of where I talk about Tracy, mm -hmm. the girl whose father was one of the bombers. Right. Um, and meeting her and getting to know her, her story. Uh, that That's one of my favorite stories and uh in the book so that that is one of my favorites um yeah. simply because it was it's so jarring and shocking but yeah. then the way it ends up is so great and wonderful um, right a testimony of of the human spirit so i like that story um i like the stories about elementary school going to advent um and uh going to my, the private predominantly white school, my first days there. The stories in that chapter are kind of cool and kind of funny. Like my parents were sending me to this private school when I was in second grade. And I remember being predominantly white. And, you know, at second grade, you know, you're seven or eight or whatever. And, you know, all you remember is, you know, that your sister was killed in a bombing by white people because it didn't like black people and now your parents go see you to all white school that's about half hour from your house and you can't walk home. I'm thinking, these people lost their mind. They crazy. They go crazy. They trying to get me killed. Uh, so that's a funny chapter. That's that's a fun and, and, and cool chapter of how that ended up and how that worked out. So yeah, those, those are a couple of my favorite chapters. That I yeah, have. that's good. I do resonate. I mean, my story is much different than yours. And in some ways, I deeply resonated with a lot of it in terms of, I mean, not in so very different contexts, but nonetheless, like, you know, going and spending time at Masai, I'm, under, I'm also an alum from Masai University. And cool. And so like, you know, experiencing white Christian community being completely like, you know, immersed in that yeah. and being changed by it, right? Right, um, right. And seeing the complexities of both on one hand, building and developing really deep relationships, kind of becoming more intercultural in that way, but also mm. seeing some really ugly stuff happening. And then eventually, and then doing other stuff, but then eventually moving back home and really like, I've changed from this. Like this has impacted right. me differently. And I can move differently in different spaces because of that, but it's also right. like complicated. And it, you right. know, so, I mean, it's not as exact as your story, but there's, I've resonated with, with so many aspects of it. And again, that's the humanizing aspect that I think is really powerful that people I think will relate to the vulnerability and transparency, as you said, um, around you just navigating all that and making sense of your own story as you look back. Yeah. Yeah, I think that was uh, one of the main reasons that I wrote that book was um, I started out in all black elementary school, all black church, all black um, uh, neighborhood. And then I went to this predominantly white private school for eight, seven years of my life from second grade to the eighth grade. And it, like you said, changed you. 
it yeah. changed it. it opened your eyes to so many things and uh, you know uh allowed you to be a good code switcher you can like switch between the 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 races really well after a while but at first i couldn't and I would go back to my black community and I didn't sound like the other black people. I didn't look like the other black people. I didn't have experiences that the other black people were having. And I was the most important part of that is I was not received by my black people. And that was terribly hurtful, terribly hurtful because, you know, as a child, you know certain things. You grow to know more as you become an adult. And your mind broadens, but I'm thinking, well, I know the white people don't like me, but the black people are supposed to like me, you know, now they don't like me either, you know, what's that about? But I was being treated very well by the white people at school, very well by the teachers and the kids. And, you know, nobody said, well, you don't talk black enough or you don't talk white enough or any of those other weird craziness. And, um... It just lets you feel as a as somebody in the seventies and the eighties, you knew that you couldn't in Alabama, you couldn't totally assimilate and and come to all white culture. You had to go back to your people at some point, and so for me, I was just traumatized by that because I've got all this knowledge and I've got all this. I've, I've embraced this culture. How do I? go back in and out of the culture. And I, I think what would have been good if I had left Alabama, if I'd gone and it was time to go to college, gone to California. I always want to go to Berkeley or go to New York or someplace where the races flowed a lot more evenly in and out. And it wasn't much more seamless, kind of like it is now in a, in a lot of places uh, in Birmingham proper, you know, not the fringe of, the state but you know um yeah but i had that that was really a point where i wrote it so that people like you who had that same experience could read that book and relate and know that it was okay to be you and somebody else went through that that you went through and came out okay on the other side so you know now, now i appreciate the fact that i am able to move in and out of the different races and the different circles very seamlessly, but I'm my authentic self all the time. I, I'm not switching back and forth, being right, white girl right. today, black girl today. I'm just me all the time. So if one side shows up stronger at a time than another side, then that just happens. But um, yeah, that was something that I definitely, one of the reasons I definitely wrote um, in the book about that. It was important to share. It was important to share. And it was important to share all the stuff out loud that I never wanted to say out loud. Right. Because it, it, it had to be said and people needed to hear it. Yeah, that's good. That's good. I don't know if I told you all um, when, when I was in Alabama that I had met your father before. In fact, I actually have a picture with him, um, obviously through Todd, obviously. Yes. Um, but yeah, I got to, and I got to see um, one time in the studio with all the pictures. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, so that was really cool. And also, um, which I imagine people appreciate, especially those who are, you know, thinking about buying the book, like a really probably good, like, um, and you do talk about it a little bit is, you know, um, Spike Lee in the documentary. Um, which for those that wants even just more history on um, just that moment and what everyone experienced through that, that's also a really powerful entry in right into that story. I don't know if you want to say any little more about both meeting Talking Spike Lee uh, as well as girls the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 We talk, I talk about, you know, Spike Lee coming and uh, making the, the documentary and what a, you know, an amazing experience that was. And, uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that that whole experience. It was great. Yeah, yeah, it's really powerful. Yeah, and if anybody um, hasn't seen the documentary, please you know rent it. Um, it's on. It's streaming on Netflix and HBO Max because it was an HBO film. But I talked to somebody last week who saw it on YouTube, and I forgot that somebody said that it's on YouTube. But it's a great documentary. It's Spike's first documentary. And uh, he did an amazing job. It tells about the life of the four girls 
and the families and Birmingham and what life was like during that time. And I think he does an amazing job of that um, with all based on all factual information from all of the families. Yeah. 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 It's really beautiful. Yeah. Well, Lisa, thank you so much uh, for your time. This has been wonderful. Um, Looking forward to your visit when you come to Pennsylvania. We'll catch up again. Uh, But thank you for your book. Um, It is a gift. I highly, highly encourage for all our listeners um, to go buy Dear Denise Letters to the Sister I Never Knew. It is powerful. In fact, someone in our live guest uh, audience right now is saying they just bought it. So um, thank you. You're going to want to go ahead and uh, purchase that book. Um, Lisa, you want to share a little bit more, like where else can people find you? If people want to, um, you know, uh, hire you, you're a, a national speaker and you're, I know you right now you're very busy. Um, how can people get in contact with you and keep up with you? Well, uh, they can go on my website, which is speaklisa.com. S-P-E-A-K-L-I-S-A dot com. And um, I'm trying to keep that updated. There was an update of list of uh, uh, places where I'll be speaking, but they can reach me there and shoot me an email at lisa at speaklisa.com. They want to have me come and speak to your group or your church or your business or your organization. Um, I love doing it. I love sharing with others. And um very excited to um, this ministry that God has me on. And I hope that it's going to turn hearts uh, towards love. All right. Thank you again. You're welcome. The Inverse Podcast is proudly supported by you, the listener. And if you want to join the revolutionaries who are helping us have conversations about how this ancient text can still turn the world upside down, why don't you head over to patreon.com slash inverse. Inverse. 